Welcome to Girl Power Pod, the podcast to inspire and motivate women to feel empowered to pursue their dreams. In this episode, I caught up with Jess Holdaway, co-founder of Frank Stationery. Thanks to the buy one, give one model, Jess has been able to hand out over 60,000 notebooks to Kiwi kids. We talked about social responsibility, community, and how success is not the end station, but rather an involving journey. Tag along. with introducing yourself. So I'm Jess Holdaway and I um, help run and co-found Frank Stationery with my husband Jason um, and we now live in uh, Mungafai. So yeah, it's great to be here. I just turned 30 so I'm feeling really good about myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I my background is design so I actually do, still do a bunch of um, contract design work as well um, and I kind of mix the two together so that's kind of what I do. Mm. How did you come up with the idea for Frank? Um, well, it was quite a few years ago. Um, so when Jason and I met, um, we had both kind of done a bunch of work with children um, overseas and we kind of came back and we're like, let's do something here. What can we do? Is there even a need here? So we kind of had our ears and eyes open and then one evening we sat down for dinner and switched on the TV and there was a documentary about child poverty in New Zealand and we just couldn't really believe it because at the time we were living in an area that was basically five minutes down the road from where this documentary was featuring children living in poverty Um, and we were like no that doesn't seem that seems crazy Um, and so we were pretty shocked and Basically what happened after that is that we started to go out to these places, visit schools, talk to teachers um, about their experiences and really kind of saw firsthand for ourselves what life is like for children in some of these communities. And then following on from that, we decided let's um, – one, one of their needs was um, stationery. Um, the lack of stationery in classrooms was really hindering the education. It was really hindering teachers being able to teach well. Um, and it was a financial pressure on parents at the beginning of the year, which meant that children couldn't take part in field trips, et cetera, because funds were going to um, things like stationery and books and all that kind of stuff. So we thought let's create beautiful notebooks – um, beautiful diaries because I am such a notebook lover and a diary lover and I have been journaling since I was like seven years old and it's so embarrassing but it's so nice and so we decided let's create some beautiful journals and notebooks um, and for everyone we sell we'll give a school book back to a child in need and that's basically kind of how we started we just made four really basic notebooks we made a really horrific website um, which was so clunky and barely worked but we launched it and we started selling notebooks yeah and kind of just continued to happen from there so frank has been going for about seven years now so how have your business changed in that time it's changed a lot um our brand and our product when we first started is quite different to where we are now so we've been through a lot of product development which has been a huge journey but also really um amazing to learn kind of loads of lessons within that um and our model initially started online um but we kind of quickly pivoted to doing wholesale through gift stores across New Zealand and Australia um so yeah at the moment we're stocked I don't I can't even tell you the number Jason will know that but um I think it's over about 200 stores across New Zealand and Australia yeah and mostly kind of boutique gift stores um like Eco Eco or Shut the Front Door or Flan Frankie um and cool little stores like Green with Envy um closer to us and stuff like that so yeah really beautiful gift stores yeah so it's changed a lot Mm. Mm. but our giving model has always remained the same Mm. what does your day-to-day work involve (laughs) at the moment it's 
well, you met my one and a half year old. Um, <laughs> so that sort of <laughs> controls a lot of the day. Um, but so I've actually been working part time since he was born. Um, and Jason's been really taking the brunt of um, working for Frank. And we also have Pippa who works for us in Auckland. And she's also a mum, so she works kind of flexible hours around um, her son as well. So, yeah, my day kind of looks like getting up and getting Dexter fed and um, having a bit of really amazing one-on-one time with him, which I'm so grateful for. And then pop him down for his nap. I do a flurry of work. <laughs> while he sleeps and then usually um he'll go to his grandmother in the afternoon and I'll get a bunch of work done or if I don't do that I'll work at night yeah so it's kind of just every day is slightly different um and then Jason takes Dexter on Wednesdays so I have an entire day to work so we kind of swap and change and kind of just support each other and that's pretty amazing yeah you have your office in your home yeah, we all work from home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from the garage, yeah. Which is actually amazing. I mean, we had we actually were in a shared space for a while and that was really cool. Um, but one thing that was really important to us with this business was that it actually really worked for us and our family as well. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons why we've sort of stayed remote working. Um, and yeah, we found a really lovely balance of having heaps of time together, heaps of time with our son, but also being able to get stuff done. Um, yeah, and it's really nice. Mm. So we've kind of really tried to morph it and work it around our lives. Yeah. Sounds like you nailed family and workflow. Yeah, in some senses, definitely. Like there's some huge perks to doing your own thing, and this is one of them. Um, and then there's some other really like, you know, big challenges that you take on doing your own thing as well. So it's, it's definitely a give and take, but um, the perks are pretty pretty incredible yeah pretty lucky so your background is graphic design could you maybe tell us a bit of how you got into that yeah yeah so my yeah mainly graphic design is pretty much um my background I started when I left school I did a number of different things I was clueless about what I wanted to do I you know got into three different degrees and then dropped out I just just never found anything that really fitted with what I wanted to do and then Jason proposed and I decided to design my own wedding invitations at a job that I was at and pretty much I just spent my entire day thinking about what I was going to design what I was going to do and after that I was like what am I doing like I should really because I did a whole bunch of art at school and stuff but I just never thought I could make it into anything worthwhile and I was never a standout student I was always pretty average so I always felt like nah I can't do that because I'm not winning awards at school for it and I'm not um being you know outstanding in it but I really do love it so I kind of just got all over that and I was like nah I'm gonna do I'll just go do a one-year design course and I went and did that and about halfway through that year we we started um Frank um which was an incredible outlet for me for design an incredible learning experience it kind of fast-tracked a whole bunch of stuff for me um doing website and branding design and product design um and even just learning, you know, all the ins and outs of business and stuff like that. So and kind of from there, it just snowballed and I entered a few competitions, won a few clients from there and then just kind of left the design study world and started doing Frank and then started doing other design and it kind of just snowballed. And I wouldn't say I'm like an outstanding designer, but I do love the process. I love the process of design. I love working with people. Um yeah, and I love the human side of design. So how can we be more empathetic in what we design? How can we be more inclusive with what we design? Um, and Frank has been an amazing outlet for that too. You know, we design all the school books that we give back to. Um, and that was, that's been really fun too. How can I get this kid to engage with their schoolwork by loving what's on the front of their book, by loving the experience of using it, um, that kind of whole process. So I definitely found something that I love doing. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty sure I'll be doing this for a long time. <laughs> Did you have any experience from running your own business before setting up Frank? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm very, I come from a very privileged background. I'm very, very lucky. So um, my dad has always run um, 
his business since he was very young um, and also ran a few other businesses. So he's been, you know, I grew up watching him. Um, my mum is equally entrepreneurial. She currently is running two businesses, one of which is a tech startup. Um, and she, and I do a bit of work with her as well. And she, on and off through the years, has started her own consultancy businesses, et cetera. And I've watched her um yeah, just kind of pioneer this really inspirational path. And so I definitely credit a lot of my um, ability to take risks and, um, yeah, to think a little bit more bravely in terms of my career. I credit a lot to her. Um, She has been amazing. And she, um, when I was about one years old, became a single mum with two little girls and was studying law and also working um, at the same time. And that's just... She's incredible. Yeah, she's incredibly strong and she's always encouraged us to kind of do what we want to do and face the obstacles. And um, she now works in the space of diversity and inclusion and she's constantly making um, pathways for women and ethnic minorities and people who just don't have, who the system doesn't work for as well. Um, she is so amazing yeah so she's kind of in that whole space and then also being a woman in tech and kind of you know going through the ups and downs of running and starting a tech business so yeah she's amazing so I've definitely had the path cut for me um and it's definitely been easier for me because of her yeah so it's real amazing Mm. So how is it to run your business with your husband? How do you find the balance? (laughs) It's such a huge question. (laughs) Um, On the one hand, it's so amazing. It's so cool. I feel so grateful to be a collaborator with my husband. Um, To have, I mean, on this couch, we have so many conversations. Like just yesterday, we spent like two hours in the morning having um, coffee and tea and Tim Tams just talking about... um, business talking about what it's like to set up a life for yourself and what it feels like to um chase the ladder and keep working your way up or when do you kind of feel content with where you're at etc etc so we just have these great conversations that I feel so lucky to have with my partner um and then the other thing is time we get so much time together we get to work on really cool projects together we get to celebrate together we get to kind of wallow together when it's really hard and um it's really really cool yeah and then of course there's the other side which is you disagree on loads of decisions you have um heaps of tension like (laughs) you can be in a meeting about you know strictly business and then you know one of you will say something that feels really personal and then you get your whole kind of relationship thrown in there and then you've got to try keep it separate so there's loads of like really frustrating tension and um (laughs) and it's just it's basically just a, a a boatload of um, personal development 24 7 when you're working with your husband it's it's always trying to be a better person better communicator um less personal like yeah so it's a constant challenge um but like I said before the perks are pretty pretty good yeah and then there's you know the whole tension of space as well like when do you have space away from the business um we're working from home so it really the boundary lines are so blurred to when is it business time? When is it not? When is it, um, you know, when do we talk about these things? When do we not? When do we just have time as a couple? And now with my son, it's even more, the dynamic changes even more. So there's definitely loads of tensions. Yeah. How do you find that balance? Oh my gosh. I've, I think balance, balance is a myth. Um, <laughs> balance is a nice thought <laughs> and it's a nice goal and it works as a goal. Um, but I don't, I don't know if it's actually attainable. Um, I think it's more, um, morphing yourself around the ebb and flow of where you're at and what season you're at or what the moment in time demands of you and being able to give that in a healthy way or um not give it in a healthy way (laughs) it's just kind of yeah I think lots of people throw around that kind of you know how do you get balance or how do you have it all you know um and I just I just don't think it's possible. And actually, I feel like once I relinquish that idea of balance, I feel a lot more comfortable and relaxed in what I have and a lot more content. So um, 
essentially uh, when it's needed and when it's getting desperate, we're like, let's go to the beach, let's go on a date, let's invite some people over, let's just not talk about this right now, we'll come back to it later. Um, you know, it's a lot of that. Yeah, it's a lot of that kind of just give and take stuff, yeah. Is Frank um, a social enterprise? Yeah. So how come you started Frank as a social enterprise? Um, basically... I mean, it has a lot to do with our core values as people. Um, we never wanted to do, well, we always wanted to do something that included people in an important way. Um, we ne we didn't want to just start another thing um, for the purpose of just making money. Um, so, yeah, because of kind of our background, um, we kind of were always looking for ways that we can support communities or just be involved more. Um, and I think my perspective um, from growing up is that I'm pretty much a product of what people have given me. Um, I don't believe in people being self-made. Um, I don't think anyone is self-made. Um, I think you are a complete product of the government that you grow up in, um, the social system you grow up in, your parenting that you receive, the people around you. These all kind of culminate in this kind of human being that I am now. And I think because of that, I really wanted to be aware of my impact on other people in that way you know how how is my work affecting people who I might might not even have a direct interaction with but it's really important that I understand my impact and how I kind of exist in a community um, um there's no one that is isolated in their community so how do I act, act actively step into that and kind of create something that's really going to be exciting and cool for other people for example like um the children that we give to of course I haven't met every single child that um we've donated a book to but for me I go that kid has a school book and they might write something. They might learn to write in that school book and that learning to write will benefit them later on in their career or might set them up for something else that um, kind of gives them this life that they love to live. That's really important to me. Um, how do I be aware of my impact and reach as a human being and how do I kind of be more intentional about that? And that was part of why we wanted to do social enterprise, you know. Um, yeah to kind of, yeah, be aware of the impact that we're having um, and to be grateful for the fact that I've been gifted a really amazing life um, through mental health, through physical health, through emotional health, through having a shelter over my head, through believing in myself like my mum taught me, through all that kind of stuff. So it's like a massive ecosystem of amazing people who who've benefited me and I'd like to be part of an ecosystem for other people that does the same. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> If you are not following Girl Power Pod on Instagram already, now is the time to do so. We're currently running a competition where you can be in the drawing to win one of Frank Stationery's books. Visit Girl Power Pod on Instagram to find out more. So the buy one, give one concept feels like it's really growing. Why do you think that is and what's the reason behind it and what's your view on it? Well, I mean, yeah, it's not just buy and give one, I suppose. There's like a massive growing trend of um, other social enterprises who are really incredible and um, who are doing some really awesome things. I guess, I mean, a lot of it probably has to do with our culture and where we're at, the fact that we're super exposed to more information through the internet, et cetera. So we feel a lot more confronted by certain problems and I think our parents did or our grandparents did. Um And it brings a lot of kind of awareness and motivation to kind of bring change, which I think is so incredible. Um, people have a desire more to understand now um, where things are coming from, what things are doing, the impact that things are having. There's a more need for transparency. Um, for example, it's why Charity Water is one of the, is probably the most top rated charity in the world. There's 100% transparency. Um, 
And that's just so different to how we've seen business operate before. Um, and I think that's why there's a growing trend. You know, there's a clearer way of doing things that actually cares about people. Um, and then, of course, you've got things like climate change coming up and there's there feels an urgency to bring change. Um, and I'm really stoked that people are starting to bring that into business um, because business can be a massive catalyst for change yeah it's really cool to see that it's cool to see sort of old models um, of charity still working in their space but also kind of being adapted to reach new spaces and new kind of markets I think that's really exciting Mm. what would you say to other women who might want to start something but might have a lot of barriers in their way oh I just start with what you have Um, you know, one thing I think we always, um, talk about is that we wanted Frank to be authentic to us as people and who we are. Um, and that's really important for whatever you start, um, make sure it's authentic to you because you're going to need, um, the resilience to keep going. Um, and that authentic piece helps you have that resilience to keep going. So just start with what you have, basically, like whatever is in front of you, what's in your hand, whatever your skill set is, whatever your history is and your knowledge is, whether that's your culture or whatever you want, like just start with what you've got. Um, but at the same time, Um, be vulnerable enough to share that idea with people who can um, really help lift you up. You know, find other women who you can relate to who have similar barriers to you or find other women who've gone before you, who've broken through that. Um, Yeah, I would say that's massively important. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's something... This, this whole entrepreneurial journey of starting a business is something that needs to push you further into people um, and connecting with people if, if it's going to work, if you're going to have the longevity to keep going. Yeah, I would say that. Because, I mean, yeah, there's never not going to be barriers. <laughs> and as you go further down the track, you think, oh, maybe, you know, when we're this big or when we're working like this, there won't be as many barriers. It's not true. There's just constant um, challenges, constant barriers. Um, and there's new ones that arise around every corner. So it's kind of about how do you remain resilient? How do you have support networks around you that kind of lift you up when you feel like you can't do it and stuff like that? Yeah. So tell me, Jess, how do you deal with those moments? <laughs> well, definitely have a good cry. Um, <laughs> definitely feel the yucky feelings. Um, definitely, like, um, we, we totally, we're just human, you know. Uh, we struggle with feelings of failure. We struggle with feeling incredibly inadequate. I mean, I think the one feeling that has probably not left me this entire journey is the feeling of my inadequacy. <laughs> um, so making friends with that and being like, that's okay that I feel that. If I can get used to feeling that, then I can pretty much do anything. Um, you know, not wishing that feeling away. Um, but also I have so many amazing women in my life that um, – yeah are doing their own things but also uh parenting and also um in marriages and like dealing with their husbands and that whole like relationship and who are just really incredible human beings and who I can have really honest conversations with yeah that's pretty special to me um so having that yeah those people pretty much just keeps you going um because I think as well you tend to when when you get into your business or or even your craft like your art art or whatever it is you tend to sort of throw your entire identity into that and if that doesn't work or if that fails you feel pretty crap because you feel like that's the sum of who you are Mm -hmm. but when you have kind of your support networks and you have these friends that know different sides of you and the vulnerable sides of you and you can sit on the couch and have a meltdown um you get reminded that that's not the sum of who you are. There's actually a whole lot of other bits of who you are that people love and um, that kind of stuff's really important to remind you of, you know, your value as a human being doesn't kind of culminate in just what you do. It's actually who you're being. In what way would you consider yourself as a leader? (laughs) I was thinking about that question. It's really hard, eh? It's quite confronting. Um, Oh, look, in some senses... Um, I would say yes in some senses definitely in some senses I wouldn't say that um, but I mean it's all kind of relative but 
I guess when I think about what leadership means, um, for me it means about um, being the one who kind of is willing to put themselves at risk first um, and willing to do what they want to see others do, but being the one to do that first, um, taking the risk first, getting their hands dirty first, kind of making the mistake first, um, <laughs> you know, being vulnerable first, all that kind of stuff. That's what kind of leadership means to me. And in, in a parenting sense, like 100% see that, you know, I can't ever ask my son to be something that I am not already. Um, so that's pretty massive for me. Um, and then, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, and no, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I have any followers. So <laughs> maybe I'm a leader if I've got followers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. How do you share your workload with your husband? At Frank? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so we kind of um, have got into this nice rhythm of um, kind of what – um, what I'm really good at and what Jason's really good at and what kind of fuels us. So um, there's definitely crossover in that we love doing, you know, some of the same stuff, but I think um, we've brought a different flavor each to the business about um, with our skill sets and what kind of how our brain works. Um, so Jason is a huge ideas person, always big picture, um, constantly thinking about new ideas, new ways to take the business, new approaches to it. Um, he is incredibly visionary like that. Um, and I'm definitely visionary as well, but I am also much more about um, our approach to those ideas. So like, how do we go about doing that? Um, how does it feel when we do it? What's our brand voice? Um, you know, what's our personality? What do we stand for? So I'm, I love the brand stuff. I love the product development <clears throat> and the product design. So everything that we have designed up until this point has pretty much been um, a project that I have felt quite close to. For example, our beautiful thoughts journal, which pretty much was a journal I created for myself because I was feeling like I was stuck in these negative patterns in my mind and I wanted to get out of it, but I'm not sure how. So I created this kind of journal, weekly journal system that kind of brings you out of it and helps you kind of meditate on something that's more beautiful. So that's definitely my kind of space. Um, and I love thinking about other people using that. And I think about how, you know, how would someone use their diary every day and how would they what kind of impact is this diary having on their day? That kind of stuff is my my vibe where Jace is like, you know, if we did this much in sales, we could give this much away. And if we structured the business this way, maybe this could happen like this. Um, so, yeah, it's quite different. And he does all the numbers and the finance and I just do all the other kind of fun stuff like the photography and website and social media and I get to do all the kind of nice cool stuff <laughs> so, but he does he loves doing the numbers like his most used app on his phone is his calculator honestly like whenever he's sitting on his phone I'm like what are you doing and he's calculating something <laughs> so yeah that's I hope he finds some pleasure in numbers yeah <laughs> someone's got to know the numbers I'm glad it's him <laughs> so how does the buy one give one model work that's so very simple and um, we sell a product we sell a notebook and uh, we give a notebook yeah so it's exact so our product sales equivalent to how much we give away yeah just one for one and you guys deliver the books to the school or how does it work so we have a giving partner uh, back in the day, we used to just deliver it by a car or a truck. We used to just hire a truck, pile it all in, drive around to the schools, drop it off, which was so cool. Um, but now it's kind of, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> We'd be doing it forever. Um, so we've got an amazing giving um, partner called School Kit, and they're based in Hamilton. Um, and they basically run a whole lot of cool initiatives in schools all throughout New Zealand. And so they help us to identify the schools that are most at need. Um, and then what we do is we kind of allocate numbers of books based on their need into those schools. So um, our last give back, uh, we gave away 20,000 books to 200 schools across New Zealand. And um, we basically coordinated that through having the books land and we just kind of allocate it to the schools and post them out. Yes, yeah, so it's very simple. 
Mm. And then in about a month's time, the beginning of term two this year, we're giving another 25,000 away, which is going to be cool. And it'll be a similar process. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. And this year we've actually collaborated with um, Jen Seavis, who's a New Zealand artist, and she's designed the cover of our notebooks, and they're so cool. So I cannot wait to show everybody, but I have to wait until um, term two. <laughs> but they'll be out soon. So, yeah, it's really cool. What have been one of the biggest learnings from starting Frank? Uh, there's been so many. Um, the biggest journey would probably be um, – realizing the resilience that you need to keep doing keep doing it um yeah it's been a pretty like insane journey so far and um yeah I think and I I don't know if lots of people say this but I think if I'd known at the beginning how like tough it would have been I probably would have thought twice about doing it <laughs> not that I have any regrets but it's just one of those things in hindsight um yeah just how how personal it is to run your own business is pretty um, eye-opening. Um, but at the same time, like, we've learned so many incredible things about, um, yeah, product development, branding, um, even just business in general. I mean, I'd never done a business before we started this. I was I went in completely clueless, like, I didn't know anything. Um, so everything that we've done up to this point, I've just been on this huge learning curve of every little thing. Um, but, um, probably one of our biggest learnings was, um, assuming that we knew what the customer wanted in the very beginning and basically buying a whole lot of product that we thought customers would love and it didn't happen. So that was a very sore, very big lesson that basically completely changed how we did our product design from that point forward, um, which was so, so worth learning and so amazing, but so painful. <laughs> How did you change that? Um, basically, we just um, went through this. Um, we changed our whole product design process to include a lot of testing. Um, so we did a bunch of focus groups and we continue to do surveys and we have a bunch of our kind of core Frank fans who we talk to about how they're finding our products, etc. We kind of talk to all of our wholesalers about what they're wanting to see in their store. So basically it's a lot more collaboration than it used to be. Um, and it's a way longer process. Um, so, you know, I'll come up with an idea. I'll um, do a rough design. I'll send it to a whole bunch of people and say, what do you think about this? Give me your feedback. They'll come back. I'll make a whole bunch of changes. Then we'll kind of do that process again um, with yeah, colors and all that kind of stuff. And then even the inner content, we'll do that. And we'll basically just refine until we feel happy with it. And then we'll do a print um, run that's small to test it in stores. And then if that goes well, then we'll commit to a bigger one. So kind of just very long journey. Yeah. Like um, it can take over a year to kind of get a product to feeling like it's finished and good and ready to go so yeah it's a long process that's a great way to find support for your products yeah yeah well people are so incredibly generous yeah. I always get really blown away when I kind of put the word out there being like who wants to test a product you know and people are like we do so that's it's really cool so you sell your products in Australia as well yeah so Australia is fairly new I think we've been there for about two years so um we've got a little um warehouse out there that ships all our stuff for us in Melbourne which is awesome so that makes the shipping a lot easier um but yeah once we kind of um New Zealand's so incredible for testing stuff because it's so small it's like what you said it's so um the risk isn't as huge and it's smaller and um you can have a lot more of those conversations and kind of refine your product without it feeling too like crucial and then so once we'd kind of felt like we got it to a good place we were like let's go to Australia and see how it works there and so we did a couple of trade shows there and then um Jace has spent a lot of time in Melbourne kind of doing and actually Melbourne to Sydney doing a bunch of sales and stuff so yeah it's cool it's a it's a different beast um but it's cool yeah a different whole learning curve so do you do the buy one get one in Australia not yet um we have thought about that but we just need to get a little bit more set up there first yeah. there's just a lot of kind of like we only just set up the warehouse probably a year ago so it's mm. still there's still a lot of learning and changing that comes with that and getting our system a bit better and then um but yeah our plan is to if we're selling in a country we'd love to give back to those children in need definitely mm. 
So are you planning on bringing your products to other countries in the world? Um, yeah, potentially. At the moment, like moving to Australia was pretty massive. Um, so I think we're just going to focus on that for the next little while. Um, but we are working on another side of the business, um, which is quite exciting. Um, so we're kind of developing that at the moment and it seems to be going really well too. So we'll see how these kind of things work together. And um, Ooh, is that a secret project or are you allowed to tell us? <laughs> No, I can tell you. It's basically, I mean, we've actually had, since the beginning of Frank, we've had people asking us to do this and we kind of were just like, yeah, sure. But we never like made it into like a proper thing. But basically we are just doing customized notebooks for events and corporates and stuff like that. So we can pop your logo on or we can pop your initials on or we can do something like that um, and we can collaborate together on doing um, some beautifully customized design notebooks for your event conference or business. And yeah, and that's been kind of something we've just been doing on the side because we, it's cool and we enjoy it. Um, and now we're kind of like, maybe we should do this properly. <laughs> so yeah, we've been, we're kind of moving into that a bit more as well. That's very cool. I'm sure it will be a very cool product for, for Frank to offer. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and loads of people, I mean, notebooks are still such a huge... I mean, I can't live with my, my notebook, you know? Yeah, for like, work, um, for like workshops and events. Yeah, exactly. Why is it important to give back? Um, I guess it goes back to what I was saying before about um, being in your community. Um, I think when you realize how much how much generosity you've been um, given in your life, you kind of uh, feel so grateful that you want to do the same for other people. Um, and I think it's, um, yeah, it's it's a myth to think that we stand alone. Um, and, you know, it's really important that we understand our place in our community and how it's affected us and, um how it's formed who we are um, and I feel like maybe this is a big generalization but maybe in the west we don't have huge connection to our past or we don't have a huge value to our past I feel like it's something maybe we're always trying to kind of run away from because um, we're always on this path to improvement and success um, and there are a lot of lessons the past can teach us about um, our present day situations um and one of those is the generosity of our um, relatives the generosity of our neighbors the generosity of people in our lives um and I think once we understand that we get kind of blown away by that um being generous um feels like a good act for your own mental health mm. where it's like not even so much about the person receiving it but it's like man feel like I need to do this because I've been given so much so that's a huge huge motivation for us and I really hope to raise our children with the same and I hope that um yeah people can understand how much they've been supported in life you know um no matter what kind of cards you've been dealt there's definitely some good in there there's definitely some generosity in there yeah yeah and it's up to us to kind of continue that You know, our community is what we make it um, and we can make people's lives a lot easier by just sharing a little bit more. And I feel, and it also brings kind of that feeling of um, that I'm not afraid to also take and lean on my community because it's this kind of ecosystem where we're giving to each other. And, you know, if, if we ever needed something and we have, like when we've needed something, we've gone back to our communities and they've supported us. And it's been such a beautiful give and take. Um, so it's not just about us being like these well-off people who are giving um, giving away because you know we're nice people it's yeah. kind of about no like we're we're slotted into this community we're in there too and when we need something we get it and then when they need something we give it and it's this lovely family you know um, yeah yeah so where do you hope to see frank in two to five years time <laughs> oh we would love to grow um and we'll continue to grow hopefully um if everything goes well um, and we would love to just continue to keep giving school books to kids in need, um, definitely. I mean, we're we're definitely driven people and we want to see Frank grow and stuff, but we're also extremely content. Um, we feel pretty grateful with what we're able to, how we're able to live, um, the people we get to meet. And so we're definitely keen to grow and do that, but we're also pretty happy 
to keep living the life that we're living and um, raising our little boy and um, keep creating new projects and doing what we love. Yeah. So, yeah, as long as we can keep giving books to kids in need and increasing that and reaching more people, we're very stoked. Yeah, really, really happy. So how many kids have you helped so far in New Zealand? Um, It's hard to say how many children we've reached, but we've given over – um, around 50,000 school books and pieces of stationery to children in need and we're about to give away another 25,000 um, and we've donated those to, to over 200 schools and then including the next um, give it'll probably be another 200 and some of those will be the same schools some of them might not um, and normally what we try to estimate is that a child will use about 10, 10 school books a year um, so I don't know what the maths is <laughs> But that's essentially Let's get a calculator to figure that one out. Yeah, I'll get Jace. I'll get Jace over with the calculator to do the maths on that one. But yeah, yeah. How hard is it to make a profit from a business model that's about giving back? Um, I'd probably just say as hard as it is to make a profit in a regular business. Um, because the buy one give one has been implemented from like day one it hasn't ever felt any different to us like it hasn't ever felt like um okay now we've got to give all this other money away like it doesn't it doesn't feel like that because it's just been a core part of we've always allowed for it like from day one um and I would just say because of that we've kind of we've see ourselves as a social enterprise differently but we operate 99% of the time we operate as a complete business like because the buy one give one's already implemented it's actually really easy um it runs itself pretty much we've got a giving partner we know who the kids are we know what they need we know the specs of the book like it's all set up and done and it's just a matter of selling so for us we've super um business focused and super um focus on the that profit side of things so we can keep giving um so I mean we have the challenges that any business has in making a profit um but we're there and it's awesome and yeah it's something we continue to do so yeah I wouldn't say other people might have a different experience running a social enterprise but I wouldn't say it's particularly like unique in that it's particularly harder to make a profit doing social enterprise it pretty much just is you know if you're in the business world you're competing with other businesses and you should operate as so Mm. yeah is there a quote that you live by um I don't really have a quote that I live by I have loads of different things that I like to think that help me through (laughs) but um one quote that I really love which Sarah Longbottom said at a creative mornings in like 2016 or maybe earlier um, but she basically said that um, failure has failure only has to do with doing and has nothing to do with being. So your failure only exists in what you're doing. It doesn't have it doesn't exist in your being. And I really really love that. I think that's such a wonderful reminder um, of what you're of kind of what you're doing. Yeah yeah yeah. I think it's a great quote. Mm. How can we empower more women to make their ideas real and make them happen? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think one of the biggest things is um, giving women the space they need to pursue their ideas. Um, There's a lot of um, pressure put on women through just traditional kind of gender roles, um, caring for family, taking the household load, um, and then now working um, and trying to juggle all those things can squeeze out a lot of um, creativity. It can squeeze out a lot of time. Um, those are big pressures um, and they take a lot of time. And I think we need to create space for women where that is not expected of them as a default. Um, and as well as that, giving women space to have opinions, giving women space to be the breadwinners, giving women space to be the leaders of their businesses. One thing I, I constantly encounter with Jason and I doing Frank is that if we're out at a networking event anywhere, um, people go to Jason and ask him how the business is going. People will talk to him first and foremost. I've been squeezed out of so many conversations. Um, 
and I have to fight for my space. I have to fight for my stake in things and my say in things. And sometimes it's just exhausting, so I don't do it. And other times it really frustrates me. But if people gave space to women and didn't underestimate or didn't assume what their default was, didn't assume that their default was caring for the child or, or taking the household load or not knowing about the business, um, that would make a massive difference to how we see women and the kind of space we give them to explore and pursue their um, creative ideas. It would be huge. Yeah. And I don't even know if that makes sense. But, um, and that's a huge thing, like making space in the workplace for women to function differently and how they did before, making space in our conversations about how we talk about women, but also um, what we ask of women in terms of what they think. Um, yeah, loads of different things. And that's why stuff like this is great. Um, having these conversations and having a podcast where women can actually share what they do and what they think. Because um, I know for me, I tend to sort of huddle away and just kind of work on my work quietly because I love it. Mm. Um, but I don't, you know, I won't receive nearly as much as the credit for stuff as um, Jason receives just because that's an automatic default of what people assume our roles are. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of flipping that on its head and realizing that when you project that onto someone, you actually kind of limit them and you kind of um, limit your interaction with them and you limit, you're kind of doing yourself a disadvantage because you're not getting to know how incredible women are because you're kind of throwing a default on them. Mm. Yeah. So kind of getting rid of that would be so great. <laughs> so, and uh, we always ask this question to our guests and I thought, I know you just turned 30, so I'm not going to ask you what advice you would give to your 30-year-old self, but I'm going to ask you what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Um, I'd probably say, do you know, I would probably just say you did a good job. Like, yes, there are probably a million things that I would change about what I did back then and... um there were probably, yeah, pieces of advice that might have been useful <laughs> to me. Um, but I want to look back on the past with fondness and not thinking about how inadequate I was. I would rather just respect where I was at that time and just say good job because I'm here, I'm here now, I'm 30 now, um, and who I was back then got me here. Um, and I really just respected that person back then who was brave enough to just keep taking a risk and not afraid of failing and like and not afraid of falling on your face um, and just did it. Yeah. So I would honestly just look back and say, keep going and doing your thing. Yeah. Why do you think it's important to have female leadership? <laughs> Because how one-dimensional to not have females in the mix of any sort of leadership. How boring. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, I'll be honest, women have been leading the way anyway, regardless of whether they've had a title or not. That's, I mean, let's be real. Women are pretty incredible and have taken the lead in so many things. They just have never um, been gifted the space. They've actually just gone and taken it. Um, and that's pretty epic and that's pretty amazing. Um, and we need... Um, we need to question systems because systems need critiquing because how else will they improve? Um, if you just accept something as is the way it is, um, the people who are suffering will continue to suffer and the people at the top will continue to benefit um, and that will be how it always is. But how boring and uncreative, um, you know, you've got to have people who see the world differently and have different experiences um, and have empathy for people who aren't you know and that's the thing I feel like when you're at the top and you are successful you could you're at risk of losing your empathy and that's a very big deal um that's a massive deal and I think women have a um a huge huge load of empathy to offer leadership um to offer yeah and they yeah are inclusive they're empathetic they're wise they're hard workers I have never like 
since having my son, I have worked to a completely different capacity than I ever have before. And it has made me massively respect um, women who carry a lot because you you just kind of step up. Um, and we need that. We need that kind of whole work ethic and empathy. And we need that whole perspective um, brought to our leadership positions. And not that men can't be empathetic, but I do think they haven't had the same... Um, journey through generational through generations that women have had that brings a whole different kind of perspective um, and I sit here as a white woman saying that and equally um, a person who is an um, ethnic minority will have a completely different perspective to me and that's why those people also need to be in leadership because I also need to learn from those people so yeah I think it's time for a change and time for a harsher critique on how we do things so that things can improve So this is another question I always ask our guests. What is success to you? If I can keep doing what I'm doing, if I can feel fulfilled in my work, um, if I can feel like I love what I do um, and it benefits people and I'm growing as a person, that's success. Yeah. If my life keeps getting bigger and bigger in terms of the people that come into my life, my perspectives, my biases keep kind of growing out and, you know, disintegrating and I just keep growing as a human and I keep growing in my craft and my artwork and growing in my parenting, um, I feel like that's pretty ideal success for me. Yeah. I don't think it's ever an end point. I'm trying to get rid of the end point idea of success because it's actually quite painful and it drives you a bit crazy. Um, so I'm trying to just embrace it kind of if I'm growing and if I can see that I'm becoming more empathetic and if my ideas are keep being challenged and my kind of biases are being challenged, then I know that I'm living successfully. Yeah. You had some great answers in there. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not too much rambling. <laughs> yeah. It's been great having you here and hearing about your journey you've been on with Frank. Thank you. Ah, oh, thanks for having me. It's a really nice compliment. <laughs> it's nice to like see if people like what I think or want to know what I think. So it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod. My name is Suzanne Axelson. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and please give it a five star rating. You can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram. It would really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So please email girlpowerpod at gmail.com. I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email. In the next episode, I met up with Cassie Roma. She's an award-winning brand and content strategist that currently works as a head of content marketing for the Warehouse Group. She's described herself as a kindness warrior. In the next episode, she will explain why. Make sure to not miss out.